one night a woman dreamed that she was having a conversation with God. And actually, you know, in, in the dream, she was incredibly angry with him because uh, she was angry with all the suffering and evil that she saw in the world around her. And so in the dream, she complained to the Lord and said, God, why aren't you doing something about all of this? And of course, in the dream, God revealed himself and gently replied, he goes, I did. I created you. Yeah, usually you open with a joke. That's not so much a joke, but that's something that let us think in what is being said. Today we find ourselves at the end of Matthew chapter 25, and I want to bring you back to remind you of the context of Matthew. Jesus had already entered into Jerusalem. He had been teaching in the temple. He had been challenged by the religious elite. He, of course, put them into place. When you begin to read the book of Matthew, one of the things that it's good to know is that they're actually, it's broken down into five major discourses, five major blocks of teaching. Uh, this is that final block. It's called the Olivet Discourse. You had the Sermon on the Mount. You had the Commission of the Twelve. You had the Parables of the Kingdom. You had the Talking of the Church. And now here we are with the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is now sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives. And what he's doing is he's teaching his disciples. In Matthew 24, they basically asked him the question. They said, you know, how do we know you're going to return? Um, you know, how do you know that these are going to be the signs of the end of the age? And of course, he begins to answer all those questions. And as he goes through it all, he begins to uh, give some parables about readiness. He gives the disciples the parables of the ten virgins and how some were wise and some were foolish. How some were prepared and some were unprepared. He goes on and he gives them the story of the talents and how they were uh, three different stewards and how two of the stewards were faithful to bring increase to the Lord, what their Lord had given. One steward just sort of hid it and didn't use it. And in both of these parables, he's trying to build out this understanding that, you know, this is coming suddenly. This end is coming suddenly. We need to be ready. As a matter of fact, if you haven't already heard, our staff has done a great job at teaching these two uh, sections. And you may want to go back down online, uh, uh, back online and download both what Pastor Jordan McClellan and Jordan Michalski have taught in Matthew 25. Absolutely stellar. So if you haven't heard it, please go and listen to it. And so Jesus now, he's got the attention of his disciples and he ends this tremendous talk and he suddenly drops the use of parables and he moves into a simple narrative. Some will argue with me on that. Unlike the household, the ten maidens and the talents, the, the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, with what he ends is not so much a parable, but I will go on to say that it's fact. It's future. It's history. And the purpose of the judgment is obviously to determine who is going to enter the kingdom of God, which the Son has come to establish. You know, through all the great discussions of Jesus in the Gospels, the evident passion of his heart is to see the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's going to manifest himself in power for the very purpose of fulfilling those passions. But only the righteous will be allowed to enter into heaven. And he introduces all that with these very intense words. And open your Bibles to Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. And we read this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, if you're on my left, and you know, don't, don't think we're talking to you specifically, all right? And if you're on my right, don't think you're all self-righteous, all right? We're just, we're just there. And I think one of the things is, is that we read this passage of Scripture, and it's hard for us uh, uh, to remember that these words were uttered by a man standing on the Mount of Olives in the midst of this tiny band of forsaken guys, ragtag band of men. And they're looking over a city where even at that very moment, as Jesus, these words are coming out of his mouth, his enemies are completing the plans for his arrest and execution. When Jesus utters these words, by every human appearance, it's as if he is already defeated. The powers of darkness are trying to be triumphant. The shadow of the cross is falling across his pathway. The crowds that once followed him are gone. His friends were fearful and powerless. And even as he's talking, one of them is set to betray him. He surveys the centuries. And he sees that there's a light yet to come. (coughs) There's no uncertainty in his words that in that hour where evil appears to be triumphant, where it's seemingly a human defeat, he declares. And I think what we have to do when we read this is actually picture what's going on here because when we think of Jesus, when you and I are constantly reading of Jesus, we don't see Jesus in his glory. We always see him in his flesh. Here, he's talking about his glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Look how he adds to it. Surrounded by his angels. We can't even fathom what Jesus is trying to picture here. And he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered the nations. You need to get that mental picture in your head. Everyone, every person, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, where you come from, it doesn't matter. Here comes Jesus in his glory and everyone is before him. And he begins to separate them. And I think one of the things I want you to capture is what's revealed in the return of Christ is that even, you know, think about the contrast of what's happening. You know, I've already told you in the conversation, you know, he's, he's gone to Jerusalem. He's, he's just been refuted, rejected, and argued and accused with, by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're saying to him, if you remember, you know, you're not who you say you are. You don't have any authority. You don't have the right. But he's saying that there's this day that's going to come. And the Son of Man, the one who has been sent from God that has a mission on earth, will have a glorious return. And he's building it for his disciples. He's building it for us. And there is a day that he will return and there will be no dispute about it. 
There's a day that he is not going to be sitting on the side of a dusty hill talking to a small group of disciples. There's a day that all, a, all nations and with all the angels will sit around his glorious throne and no one will dispute in that moment that Jesus Christ is king. That day is coming. And in that return, when that day comes, when the sky cracks open and he returns and we go to meet him, there's not going to be a debate about it. Is he who he says he is? You know, he says, <laughs> he says the Son of Man will be revealed in glory, sitting on a glorious throne, surrounded by his angels. It will be obvious. And I just want to say that there's a day coming where this future hope that we're reading, this future belief is not going to seem silly. It's not going to seem foolish. It's going to seem obvious. And all will see the glory of Christ. It's coming. And then he goes on from there. And he says, the Son of Man will be like a shepherd who is separating the sheep and the goats. One to the right, the others to the left reading this, I always stop and I ask questions. You know, why sheep and goats? You know, why not camels, horses, or, you know, sheep and wolves, or lions and lambs? But why did, you know, why sheep and goats? And, you know, the obvious is that the people that he's talking to, they, they actually have a, they're familiar with the whole process. They're familiar with the, the illustrations that he's using. And so he's speaking in a language that they can easily understand. And during the day, sheep and goats would mingle, they would graze together, the people would know that. They, they roam where they please. But at night, their needs are very different. And they would be separated by the shepherd. Now, from a distance, sheep maybe look like they have it all together, hanging out in their pasture, gazing on yummy grass all day, you know, playing with other sheep in the sunshine. But the truth is, sheep actually require much help to stay alive. I didn't know this. I did some research, and I found out that if a pregnant sheep falls on its back, this is hilarious because you can Google this pregnant sheep on its back and you see them on like a five-point star, right? If they fall on their back, they can't figure out how to get up. They actually need the help of a shepherd to come and to, to lift them up, which blows my mind. Also, sheep have a tendency to panic and run around wildly when they're stressed out about something. So if you're in a car and you see a bunch of sheep in a pen and you drive by and you honk your horn, the whole flock or hurt, or whatever they are, they're, they might spend the next two hours in anxiety, running in circles and bumping into walls and fences, you know, surrounding their pasture. It's quite possible. Sheep also, though, feel very calm under their shepherd, especially when the shepherd's in the midst of them. And they'll follow the shepherd anywhere because they have learned actually to trust the shepherd. They know that when it rains, it's the shepherd who will gently move them to shelter. When they're hungry, it's the shepherd who will guide them to pasture, to a tall, lush grass, or give them food to fill their rumbling tummies. They trust in that shepherd. They know that the shepherd is the one who actually cares for all their needs. Throughout the Bible, God says that we're his sheep. We're sheeple, in case you didn't know. Psalms 95 says, He is our God. We are the sheep belonging to his flock. We are the people he takes good care of. Listen to his voice today. Mark 6 goes on and says, When Jesus came ashore, he saw a large crowd. He felt deep concern for him. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Sheep are totally helpless without their shepherd to guide them, to take care of them. And we are those sheep. 
God is our good shepherd. We belong completely to the good shepherd. He cares for us. He would never leave us completely alone. And because of that, we can trust him and he'll give us everything we need. The sheep and the goats, interesting enough, from a distance, they actually look similar. They even make, you know, to some degree, the same type of noise. But their personalities and their behaviors are very, very different. A goat looks cute. could be innocent. But if you ever spent any time with goats, you know that they're trouble. They're always getting into trouble. They're very independent animals. You know, if a, a shepherd decided to go on a vacation for a week, sheep would have a problem, but a goat, no problem with them. They know how to survive on their own. Goats also have huge appetites. They'll eat anything and everything to satisfy their hunger, including garbage. It doesn't matter. So a shepherd now has to be a little bit more careful because a mama goat will often eat every bit of food put out for even just for her babies. And she'll leave her babies to go hungry to satisfy herself. She just uses her head. She bumps the kids out of the way so she can have their dinner. The shepherd has to monitor that. So what we know about goats is that they're motivated by their own desires. For example, let's say a goat likes the way his shepherd's hair tastes. That happens, right? They sneak up behind the shepherd. He's lying down on the ground. They smell the wonderful, beautiful shampoo he's used. It smells great. Herbal essence, right? Maybe he wants to try it. Well, the shepherd doesn't like this, of course, and punishes the goat. But the goat can't stop thinking about how good that shepherd's hair tastes. And so as soon as the shepherd lies down, he starts taking a nap. The goat's going to be right there chewing on the sleeping shepherd's hair. Hopefully to avoid any punishment because it never learned from the first time. So goats love doing what they want more than they love pleasing the shepherd. Scripture goes on and says, Then the king will say to those on your right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And think about the language that is being shared here. The invitation, come, come. He's created this picture of gloriousness. And now this invitation to come. And I love that. Come into the kingdom. Come into my favor. It's almost as if for the second time he's made this invitation to them. Hey, hey, come and receive my salvation. Come experience my mercy. Now he's saying, come inherit the kingdom. You who are blessed by my father. This kingdom that's been prepared from the foundations of the world. And it's that word inherit. It's beautiful. You don't inherit something unless somebody has given it to you. Unless somebody has died, right? Come and inherit. And some have read this text and they've concluded, you know, okay, if I just feed enough hungry people and give enough clothes and let enough people sleep on my couch, well, then I can inherit the kingdom. No, no. You have to be blessed by my Father to inherit the kingdom. Jesus is saying, because of my death, you've been given a gift. You've inherited the kingdom that's been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. He goes on, he says something a little bit more crazy. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 
I want to give you a shame, shameless plug right now. Maybe you did or you didn't know, but here at Seoul, we're attempting to sponsor another family to Canada. It's called the, the Pakistani Refugee Product. They have a project. Product. Project. Sorry. I was having a hard time slurring my words this morning, and I'm medicine-free right now. Go figure that one out. But uh, at the table there, um, just out right out here, uh, you'll, you'll notice that uh, uh, on Saturday, September 28th at 7 p.m. here at Seoul, we're hosting a trivia night. Now, it's based around the Pub Stumpers trivia game. And tickets are simple. It's $25 per person, or you can get a table of eight and invite your friends, families, neighbors, co-workers, and it's only 20 bucks a thing. It includes all the pizza, all the salads, snacks, non-alcoholic beverages you want. It's all included. Now, he's not here now. He was here at the first gathering, but Kevin Penner has agreed to be the host for the evening. And if you know Kevin, he's a little off. So I can guarantee you it's going to be a great, great time. So... With him as our host, it's going to be a fantastic night of fun. The tickets are available, like I said, back here or the office or through the Facebook event. Um, and uh, we'd love to see you. We'd love to see you show up. We'd love to see our friends, our family members, maybe colleagues, people from work who want to make a difference. Maybe you're a life group. You want to come together. You want to help them raise money for this Pakistani family who needs to come to Canada because their life is literally in danger. So invite somebody who doesn't come to Seoul to be a part of this. And the reason I say that is because when I came across this passage of Scripture, it says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Let's go a little bit back into our text. The arresting thing about this is that Jesus is saying that the ultimate mark of an authentic Christian Hear me carefully. Is not his creed or their faith or their Bible knowledge, but the concern which they show to those who are in need. The practical demonstration of love is the final proof. What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you'll notice that Jesus doesn't ask anybody to present their case or argue their cause. He doesn't do that. He, he asks no questions, no requests of any evidence. He just ex simply extends to this one group the invitation to come. And there's a great potential for us to actually misunderstand this passage. Many people have. Because one of the things that we need to do is when we look at this passage, we need to look at the entire um, uh, uh, view of Jesus' teaching and the whole truth of Scripture. Many people have used this passage, the sheep and the goats, to argue that getting into heaven is merely a matter of doing good works or being a good person. You know, um, the gospel clearly teaches that there's only one way to be made right with God. The blood of Jesus, the shed, which is shed to make atonement for sin once and for all. We find that in Romans. Our belief in him in John 3.16. Ephesians 2 clearly states, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. 
We're saved by grace. Hear me loud and clear. Unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, overflowing, complete, and total forgiveness of sin. Absolute. Welcome into the kingdom at that point. Not based on what we've done, but totally and completely because what Jesus has done. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again to give us victory. Jesus tells this story not to imply that works bring salvation, but to show that there are many who merely pretend to know and to love God, saying the right things, observing the right rituals, but never truly living a changed life, a life that loves others like he's loved us. And Jesus' teaching in this parable is echoed elsewhere in Scripture. You can go to Leviticus 19. You can go to James chapter 2. You can go to 1 John chapter 4. It's echoed there throughout. We're not saved by the measure of good works that we can add up. Our life, our trust in Jesus is not a balance sheet where, well, this is the good and this is the bad. We've got to come out on top. It's not a comparison chart where we measure ourselves up to even other people. I'll do it a little bit better than you in this era. Here, Jesus is telling his followers, he wants you to be a sermon. He wanted them to be walking, talking, living, breathing sermons. And this is one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry. This is what Jesus did. When the crowds were all gathered around him, Jesus said what? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. The book of Acts, Peter's preaching, and he says how Jesus went around doing good, healing all those under the power of the devil because God was with him. Luke tells us that Jesus taught his followers when you give a banquet, who do you invite? Invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind. Jesus taught this. Jesus lived this. He modeled this. He conducted his ministry in this way because that's what God had always said he wanted of his people. Always. In Proverbs 19, 17, God promises that he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will reward him for what he has done. Proverbs 22 says a generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Psalms 41 gets really explicit by promising, he says, Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The Lord uh, will protect him and preserve his life. He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desires of his foe. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. Being kind to the poor and downtrodden was central to what God had always asked of his people. In fact, this was so expected by God that he condemned those who failed it. Proverbs, if this doesn't make you shake, I don't know what will. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Somebody who observed this passage and made a comparison to Western cultural mindset. They rewrote Matthew 25 this way. I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. 
I was in prison and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so close to God, but I'm still very hungry, lonely, and cold. Like, I think that the person who wrote this realized that if we only talk about doing good for Christ, the result is an empty and powerless faith. If Jesus, you know, Jesus told us that if we are his children, would be known by our, our fruit, would be known by our love, we'd be known by our good deeds. Matthew, he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears ba- bad uh, fruit. A tree cannot bear bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Their fruit, their action, their deeds. And if we go back to the text, we have this real crazy response. And I actually find the response quite entertaining. And that's the sheep. The sheeple. Then the sheeple will answer him. Lord, uh, when? I like that. It's just kind of like a sheep. Uh, I'm not quite sure. But when? when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When thirsty, give you something to drink? When? When did we see a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When, when did, you know, we see you sick or in prison and go to visit? Like, when? When? It's not like, yeah, we nailed it. No, it's not like that at all. It's like, hold up. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. We did this right? You know, when, when, when did we see? They're surprised. They're actually surprised that they actually did it. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you know, when, when did we see you hung? Oh, what? And the king's reply says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. He explains the basis of his choice. He simply noted that when they had the opportunity to help somebody in need, think about this, they did it. When they had the opportunity to help somebody in need, they did it. Nothing more is required. When you gave to to one of the least, it's the same as giving to Jesus. Notice it doesn't say that you cared for them. It says that you cared for me. The king, who's the judge, who's sitting in his glory on his throne, actually associates himself with the lowly. When you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters. When you do it for the ones who are disenfranchised and broken and ill-equipped to even resource themselves. When you do it for them, you do it for me. It's as, as if to say that our regard for them, our care for them, is just the way that we submit to our king. 
The way that you love them, basically, is the evidence of your love for Jesus. Now again, this is not qualifications to get in. This is evidence of the faith that's already within you. It's not up to us to judge people and who are the least of these. As believers, our task is to simply to reach out and to show Jesus' love. Our prayer is to ask the Lord to open our eyes to see his face in the faces of people who are down and out and disadvantaged or challenged in other ways. And we demonstrate our love through our relationships with one another. And this love has to be more than simple words that we speak, but it's also that the actions that we need to take to relieve one another's burdens. Every time we reach out to somebody in need, and you are in as much doing it to Jesus. Think about it that way. And those who Jesus is speaking to don't even realize the significance or the impact of the good that they had done because it was just Jesus working right through them. They got it. They understood it. They lived it. They were that illustrated sermon. Oswald Sanders says this. He goes, the basic question is not how much of our money we should give to God, but how much of God's money we should keep for ourselves. Sanders says this, and it's, yes, obviously it's regarding money, but the same can be said for all the gifts that God has given us people. He asks us for our first fruits. He asks us for our best. And so every blessing that you and I have is a gift from God. Do you understand that? With all that we have, be it your money, be it your possessions, be it your abilities, even just our presence to encourage another who is in, maybe they're sick or in trouble, we can choose to use all those blessings for ourselves or we can choose to share them with other people. I think it's sobering for us to realize that Jesus identifies himself with those in need. And if you help them, he says, you're really helping me. And if you ignore them, what's he saying? You're ignoring me. And it's interesting that he flings this cloak of relationship around them. He calls them my brothers and sisters. Theologian Helmut Tielecki said, how, easy, how easily we let a sentence like God is a God of love pass over our lips. I'm going to read this slow so that we grab it. It even sounds a bit trite. But just let Jesus stand in front of us and look at us when we say the words, and at once this pious little saying becomes an accusation. Then all of a sudden we hear it spoken by the beggar we shooed from our door yesterday. The servant girl we dismissed perhaps because she was going to have a baby. The neighbor whose name has been recently dragged through the newspapers because of some disgraceful affair whom we let know that we always walk the straight and narrow path. And suddenly we hear them all speaking it because this saying has something to do with all of them, not only with the God who dwells above the clouds, for in them the eyes of the Lord himself are gazing on us. So the sheep who inherit the kingdom 
are those who have responded to the needs in love, in concern, in ministry. And in, pro- in doing so, probably at great risk to themselves in one way or another. Shane Claiborne said this, Things get messy when people begin moving beyond charity and towards justice and solidarity with the poor and the oppressed. Once we're actually friends with the folks in struggle, we start to ask why people are poor, which is never as popular as just simply giving to charity. So the sheep did what they could. They saw something. They responded. With the goats, though, it's the opposite story. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And so the seriousness of this matter of helping the needy is seen in the severity of Jesus' words here. Depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The sheep were told to come. Come. But here the command is to depart. They're now going to a place prepared for the devil and his angels. They are being sent away because unlike those on the right who were faithful enough to live out the faith that they professed, these ones had no evidence of the work that had been done. And again, I think one of the things that when we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to be honest and we have to remember that these are probably people who honestly think they're sheep. They can point with pride to that moment where they made a profession of belief. They are perhaps dogmatic about a certain creed and the church, you know, I'm a church member of good standing. But by their lack of response to the pleas for help that come to them from every side, they stand as revealed as goats, as false sheep. People who are never sheep at all. And what's really interesting here, you don't see anybody saying, um, excuse me, you don't have the right to say that to me. You, know, you don't know me, as in our culture today. Nor do you see anybody who oh, hold it, Jesus, sorry, sorry, I'm on the wrong side, I belong over there, sorry, Jesus. The thing that surprises them, because they're surprised, is the measure of which Jesus used to find the evidence of their faith. Because they answer him the same way they should. Lord, when, when, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick in prison? When did it not, did not help you? You know, they, it's a surprise of stunned surprise. And again, I'm just as surprised that they're surprised. Like, I get it. They're completely taken aback about what he says. And, and, and it's clearly evident that they expected a different basis of judgment. They weren't expecting this. And the fact of the matter is the goats were living a selfish life. Think about that. They saw lots of people in need, but did nothing for them. For me personally, that's an aha moment.
but they weren't like the sheep. The sheep have been able to have a brand new way of seeing other people as they trusted Jesus. They understood what it meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not convinced that the goats had accepted the love of Christ. Truly, because they really didn't give his love to other people. And sadly, when the king comes back to sort the sheep from the goats, the goats will not get to be with them forever. We don't celebrate this. We grieve this. He'll reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Then he separates. This is Jesus talking. And it's hard words. Really blows the concept of, well, I believe everybody's going to heaven. I believe your theology is totally screwed up. Take a look at what Jesus is saying. He says the goats go into eternal punishment. This is not a temporary slap on the wrist, but one of eternal consequence. One of eternal consequence. For those who are faithful, though, they receive eternal life. These are the hard words of Jesus. And when you know how much Jesus loves you, and how much he did for you on the cross, when we begin to start to understand that we are literally overflowing with his love, when we are in that place of understanding, you can't help but love other people like he loves you. And when you serve them, you're also serving Jesus and beginning to understand that. But when you begin to ignore and reject the love that Jesus offers, you will never see other people the way that he sees them. You will never be able to serve them unselfishly and completely. Jesus tells us that the kingdom belongs only to those who love him and love others. And when we do this, we bring the presence of Jesus into the lives of the least of these. If we ignore the, or avoid the vulnerable around us, how can we be motivated to act uh, with them for justice? If our eyes only see people who are exactly like us, if we just work you know, really hard to pur purchase our new shiny objects, our little buttons, or if all of our energy is spent striving for higher positions of power or fame, you know, we've then given in to the values of the world around us instead of becoming more and more responsive to the Spirit of God who reminds us, constantly reminds us of our abundance and compels us and pushes us to go deeper and more generously into our community and into our world. I have to admit, I've had a, a personal inventory going on in my life and faith over the last little while. And, and not only do I think that these, this Sunday and the next two to follow will, will be something that you do not want to miss, but I, I'm probably going to be sitting here bawling, bawling the majority of the time. Because that's where I've been personally. Somebody once said the two rarest things in the world is a young man who isn't filled with pride 
and an old one that isn't filled with regret. It's so powerful and so true. You know, I pastored this church for 15 years. And I'll be honest, the last thing I want to do is stand before Jesus and not have made a difference in some way to the world in which he's put before me. Whether that world is here or whether that world is globally. You know, last January, Sharon and I were at a World Division event for pastors and their spouses. And it was interesting because they presented uh, something that they called the Matthew 25 Challenge. And I was sitting there listening to their, their presentation, and I was thinking, man, this would be perfect for us to go through as a community. You know, and again, this is, you know, <laughs> January. I think we were only on Matthew chapter 22 at the time. But anyway, you know, here we are, and I'll preach the passage, and then we can live it out for a week. Chris Schrader, who represents World Vision, he also attends here. I, I told him that day. I said, I'm in. I'm in. And so the day has come, and, and we are here. And the Matthew 25 challenge is a week-long challenge that's going to help you. And, you know, if you have a family, it will help your family to step out of your comfort zone and engage in God's love for the least of these brothers and sisters who Jesus calls us to care for. And it's a six-day challenge. It's a texting challenge. It will test your heart. It will make Scripture actually come alive to the realities that we find around us every day here in our city. And so if you haven't signed up for it already, I'm going to give you a moment where you can start downloading on your phone. So have your phone ready. But let, let me just tell you what it's about. Every day you're going to receive a few text messages. And I promise it's not going to overwhelm you. But you're going to get a daily challenge that's going to call you out of your comfort zone. And you're going to be able to reflect on the challenges. And you'll also be able to use those challenges as a discussion with your friends and family members. And not only that, we'll be doing this together as a community. I'm going to be sharing the challenge every, on, on my social media. And so if you follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, there it is. I'll be doing I'll be walking, and we'll be walking together so that no one feels that they're doing it alone. But wait, like, I actually have more, and this is not an infomercial. I promise I have nothing to sell you. But there's a bonus family guide. So if you're here and you, got, you want to do it as a family, there's a family guide. Pastor Shauna has it all printed out ready for you to go. You just got to ask her, and the whole family can actually participate in this challenge. Now, it's interesting, uh, because I was going over this with, with Chris, and part of me said, you know, I, I bet you half the people can't even make it. I bet you can't even make it. And that's my challenge to you. If you haven't signed up yet, I encourage you to do so. I, ch I, ch I double-dog dare you to do it. And so you can pull out your phone while I'm talking. The number's going to come up on the screen. All you got to do is text to 1-807-787-4625. Just text the word soul. Right away, what's going to happen? If you've done it already, you don't need it to do it again. But World Vision will respond and say, thank you for joining Soul Sanctuary, Matthew 25 Challenge. Watch for daily challenges to derive by text the evening before your challenge begins. That will be tonight. Now, just be patient. If you don't get a response, maybe your, your text hasn't gone through, and you may want to wait a little bit and then maybe resend it again. But here's my hope. Here's my hope. God has been messing me up in ways that I find very hard to articulate without actually breaking down. 
And so, here's my hope. Is that I pray that you're going to become more aware to the plight of the poor in our community, but also globally. I've had people say, that, oh, we're becoming more of a humanitarian church. I go, actually, no, we're becoming more of a biblical church. I pray that God is making you more aware of what's happening locally and globally. We're going to reconvene next Sunday. We're going to have a bit of a debrief. But then I actually have another challenge that I believe will knock your socks off. Watch this video. So as you're leaving, you're going to get a card with all the info on it. We want you all to join the challenge. I challenge you. I double-dog dare you with a cherry on top. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women and pray that they would just use the next few minutes to literally take stock and to begin to ask the difficult questions to be able to wrestle through whether or not they are living for themselves and them only or if they are being obedient to the things that you've asked us to do. I pray that they would hear the weight of your seriousness about the poor and the needy, about the oppressed, about how consistent and how commonly your call and that you call your people to engage at this level. 
for us to forsake some of our own creature comforts, to forsake some of our own time, our own energy, our own money for the good of the city and for the poorest of the poor in our globe. We know this is not the gospel, but it certainly flows out of it. So help us, I pray, and move us, continue to save us. We need you, and it's for your beautiful name we pray. Amen. And in ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. So here it is, still sanctuary. As you've been fed, go feed the hungry. As you've been set free, go set free the imprisoned. As you've been received, give. As you have heard, proclaim. And soul, may the blessing which you have received from the Creator, from Jesus and the Holy Spirit, be always with you. Amen. Now go and live the church and come back next week. And I challenge you to bring a friend.